Welcome to the podcast series at the College of Education and Integrative Studies. My name is Jeff Pass. I'm the Dean of the College here at Cal Poly Pomona. Uh, we have as our special guest today, uh, Dennis Lopez, Professor Lopez uh, from the Department of Ethnic and Women's Studies. Welcome. Thank you. And we have Martin Rios and uh, Amalia Gonzalez, two students of uh, Mr. Lopez. And we are going to be uh, having a discussion starting with uh, Professor Lopez. Would you tell us uh, what is your main interest in uh, your professional studies? Well, my main interest is the opportunity through ethnic and women's studies and in courses, for example, like contemporary Chicano Latino uh, studies to uh, bring in uh, research that impacts California, the nation, and many of the students that take the classes. And so um, it's, it's exciting to me to, to uh, bring that research in. My particular interest is the nexus between education and immigration. And immigration is obviously a hot topic in the United States and has been for quite some time. Uh, in particular, uh, what aspects of immigration are most compelling to you? Well, um, the fact that there are about uh, six million um, U.S. citizen kids with one undocumented parent. The U.S. citizen children with, with one, one of whom, at least one parent is undocumented. Yes, so the controversies of, of the day in terms of immigration enforcement and deportations, et cetera, are, are, are central to the lives of those children. Uh, we also have undocumented immigrant students uh, throughout the nation. The Supreme Court says those undocumented students in the Plyler versus Doe decision of 1982, they have the right to public schools from kindergarten through 12th grade. Here in California, uh, we've gone further. We have um, state law that enables undocumented California high school graduates to have access not only to the Cal State system, the UC system, and the community colleges, but to state financial aid and public financial aid supported, uh, uh, excuse me, private financial aid um, that is under the control of public universities. Mm -hmm. So California has taken some major steps uh, what would you attribute that to? Why is California such a leader in that area? Well, we've transformed in the last, oh, 25 years from 1994, when uh, almost 60% of California voters approved the Save Our State initiative that would have required teachers to identify those students who they suspected could be undocumented or they suspected their parents could be undocumented. So almost 60% of the voters approved that state constitutional amendment, um, and that was 1994. Now in 97, uh, a federal judge uh, found that it was, or ruled that it was unconstitutional. And so fast forward to 2011, when Governor Jerry Brown signed the California Dream Act laws into effect, and that provided uh, undocumented immigrant students that had been uh, enrolled at a California high school for three years, uh, the, the California Dream Act laws provided uh, the state financial aid and the private financial aid controlled by state institutions. So we've, we've transformed from having teachers being extensions of immigration to um, uh, in incorporating um, the undocumented student population into our public colleges and universities. Well, that didn't just happen by itself. What are uh, 
precipitating events that would uh, lead to that? Yes, I, um, you know, for example, uh, in, 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 our, in the class that Martin and, and Amalia have taken, we also read a political science book, uh, Latino America, and they cite statistics there. The authors, uh, uh, Matt Barreto and Ray Segura, cite their research that shows that 60% of high propensity Chicano Latino voters know someone who's undocumented. And 16%, or half of one third, 16%, it's someone in their immediate family. Uh -huh. So that's, that's part of it. But it takes more than the Chicano Latino population to, uh, to vote for those elected officials who would pass the legislation, who would seek to uh, incorporate or integrate um, the immigrant population into the mainstream. So it, it takes a, an active uh, Chicano Latino population and it also takes allies from throughout the population who agree. And, vote, and making sure that voters get to the polling place and, and cast their ballots. So you've incorporated some of this work into your class. Probably before discussing the class, maybe you could discuss a little bit about your own journey to uh, becoming a professor here at Cal Poly? Yes, well, I have to say that growing up uh, near the border in San Diego as a child and having what I would call uh, very, very traumatic experiences as a U.S. citizen with the Border Patrol. Um, the issue of education and immigration started out early. Um, I also attended the Harvard Graduate School of Education at a time in the early 90s when it was thought that, um, that the prospect of researching the undocumented student population was so far from a realistic solution at that time in the early 90s that I was advised uh, to think of another topic. And that's one of the reasons that detained my, my study. So I went back to educational equity programs where on behalf of the UC system or the Cal State system, I also worked in community colleges, I would seek to assist students in California that wanted to seek a higher education and yet were faced with that dilemma. Some of the students discovering they were undocumented as they were applying to college. They didn't even know when they were applying. Yes, and as a parent, I can understand that because uh, as a parent, of course, we all want to protect our children. And some parents who are undocumented, are, they don't want to pass that daily fear of undocumented status. So they keep, they keep that fact from their, from their children. And then as the children try to get a driver's license, or, or try to uh, apply to college, they, um, they learn that, uh, that they're undocumented. Fortunately, again, 2014, California um, uh, voters passed, or the, our elected officials passed a driver's license bill that enabled undocumented drivers to be able to obtain a driver's license. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have these daily occurrences in the lives of our students. 54% uh, of California students as of 2017 were Chicano Latino, not all of them, of course, immigrants, many of them the children of immigrants. Right. Yeah. So you were uh, inspired by that work to study it more deeply? Yes, uh, inspired by that work, by those students, by mm -hmm. their parents, by their mentors of all ethnicities that really wanted to, to see these students live to their full potential. So, um, so I've, I'm, I'm involved right now in a research project where I've interviewed undocumented immigrant students of the 80s, now who are doctors and lawyers and police sergeants, uh, and then uh, of the 90s when access was, was, uh, was taken away, access to higher education, 
through, uh, through the courts in California, and then in the 2000s, where we have, once again, as a result of the organization of the very immigrant community themselves and their allies, we've been able to, or they've been able to, I should say, um, they've been able to open access uh, through our democratic process. Uh, President Barack Obama in 2012, he established Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, recognizing that since Congress had not solved immigration reform, that he would act in his capacity as president to establish this temporary protection from deportation for two years and a temporary work permit. So now, for example, at Cal Poly Pomona, we have undocumented students who have access to um, state financial aid and private aid controlled by state um, uh, higher ed, and they're able to work with a, with a work permit. Now, these are slightly different populations. Some people who have DACA are not uh, AB 540 eligible and vice versa, uh, but um, th these advances from the period of 1994 when 60% of the voters voted for the Save Our State initiative, did not trying to deny even K-12 education, now in the 21st century, as a result of the, the undocumented community themselves and their allies, um, they have opened this access. So I find that very exciting. And uh, we here at Cal Poly have a Dreamers Center uh, where we students who are uncertain about their status and they need help in applying for various kinds of um, programs, uh, they get assistance with that. Absolutely. It's a wonderful center and they do great work. They do. So how have you incorporated uh, this work into your teaching? Well, what's exciting to me about it is that, one, I know it resonates in the lives of many of our students. Uh, two, I know that there's a great deal of academic research, scholars who are committed to examining through research this, uh, th this nexus between education and immigration. Um, and there are related subjects like, for example, the unaccompanied minors. Um, I'm able to assign uh, reading, and I assign a lot of reading in my classes. Uh, we have five books in, in each of the classes. Your students that... are nodding, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, you know, to me, it's exciting that there are scholars and journalists who are writing these books, documenting um, the, 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 the dilemma that not only students are in, but teachers. They're teachers, they're counselors, they're principals, they're superintendents, because they recognize the Supreme Court said these children have a right to K-12. And then when they aspire further, uh, there are some roadblocks. But in California, because of all of the work that we, we study in the, um, the sign reading, uh, we're able to see more than the sound bites uh, that we hear on the, on the cable news, on the network news. The students are able to study the academic research pertaining exactly to these questions. Mm -hmm. So let's open it up to the students, to Martine and, uh, and Amalia. Uh, you enrolled in the course uh, did, is this what you expected to be learning about uh, immigration? Well, when I uh, enrolled in the course, it was in fall 2017. It was my first semester in Cal Poly. The name of the, actually the name of the class catch my attention, Chicano Latino issues. Well, I am Latina. I want to know more about Latinos. So I took the class and once the class started, I realized that so many issues that we talk about in class, like immigration, political representation and education challenges for Latinos, uh, related so much with me. So this class basically inspired me to advocate for my community and feel empathy for my community, you know, as future teachers as well, because uh, with all the knowledge 
we learn in these classes, actually we can apply this knowledge to our students, like provide guidance, provide uh, support for future students. So let me build on that before we get uh -huh. to you, Martin. What uh, kind of uh, things would you do with your students? You're going to, you're uh, hoping to become a teacher of Spanish in mm -hmm. high school. Mm -hmm. How would you use some of the content you've learned here in your own teaching? Um, providing guidance in, um, you know, provide information about college and teach that uh, education is the only way we can have uh, access in social mobility and also we can cause an impact in our society. So it would be more, yeah. uh, not so much in the learning of Spanish as in being a role model and, a, and being an, a role an model. advisor uh -huh. and a coach. Uh -huh. and, yeah, that, and, and knowing your students well, so you know their backgrounds and, and some of their concerns. Yes. And you could take that into account mm -hmm. as a teacher. And how about you? Uh, was this what you were expecting in, uh, when you enrolled in the course? Um, when I did enroll in this course, I didn't know what to expect. Um, I had quickly realized in Professor Lopez's course that all the history that I have ever been taught and everything that I've ever learned inside of normal academia has been really Anglo-Saxon driven. And as a result, um, I took a Chicano, I took a Chicano studies class for the first time and it was something that was very foreign to me and it was my own history but it wasn't mexican history it wasn't latin american history it was chicano history history that happens here in the united states so you finally got to study yourself and, and your your people after all those years in school and i didn't yeah and i didn't understand how much history there was and how important it was um like amalia said we both plan to be educators and um i work with fifth, fifth grade students and high school students now and it can really, really make a difference. Um, a lot of my students, for instance, they speak Spanish at home. And it's a really, really big thing to know that, oh, I can feel empathy towards them and I can feel, make them feel more comfortable. And it's something that's so small. As to say, um, instead of calling them by their name, you can call them mija, just like someone would call their student like, um, hun or love. And that's a really, really big thing. And it's the driving force. It's the fact that I know that if I help my students now, maybe they can make the difference that I want to see in the future too. So what was something you learned in your Chicano studies that you wish more people knew? The biggest thing is the matter of fact that the people who come to the United States do come from a better life. And the statistics all show that. For instance, both of my parents are first gen um, both of my parents crossed the border illegally. They've naturalized since. Um, so I have I have no fear for that. But I do know that there's a really, really big stereotype to that. And a lot of people misunderstand. A lot of people have this misconception that they come here to take advantage of all like the systems and everything. To take advantage of the welfare or the healthcare system. Uh huh. And but actually, uh, undocumented individuals are not able to access that. Am I right? And they don't qualify. Right. Um, a lot of people that come here don't come for those reasons. My dad came at the age of sixteen because my grandpa was a um, was a bracero. Um, people who worked in the fields people who were invited in to be taken advantage of. And my mother came in crossing the border illegally. And neither one of my parents ever took advantage of like the system. The system took advantage of them. And did they share those stories with you growing up? Um, no, it was a taboo. And it wasn't until taking classes like Dennis's where I'd come back home and I'd say, oh, I just learned this about, um, I just learned this about this. And I remember finding out that my grandpa was a bracero. And I remember being so shocked I had never met my grandfather. He died when I was two. So I have no like recollection of him. 
but the fact that my grandfather was like a part of history, especially California history, um, being a part of a program like that. Right. Did you have any uh, discoveries about your background after taking the course? No, my background, but because I am an immigrant in California, but also one important thing that I discovered in the class is that uh, Latino political participation matters actually in California and in the United States. And we need to, as Latinos, promote the political engagement because by voting, by campaigning, by uh, advocacy. You know, advocacy in pub yeah. ad advocating in public, it's very powerful for uh, this uh, political situation that the United States uh, live right now. And we as Latinos, we have the power to participate, to make social change. Sure. Yeah. So that's an important lesson. Um, Professor Lopez, do you in, uh, assign your students to study their own families uh, when appropriate? Well, um, in the assignments that I give the students, I ask them to focus on the research that they're reading and to share when it resonates with their own experience. So in a way, yes, um, that, that does happen. And amazing things, uh, gosh, you know, one student even wrote, she's a US citizen, her father was deported, right? So she has, and she's still currently here at Cal Poly Pomona, but uh, all the challenges and the sacrifice that all students make, and then to have that as an extra weight, making up for the lost family income. Uh, so occasionally uh, it, it does come into that, you know, in, in that type of way. But I want them to, to, to be able to engage the academic research and, and, and to, to, when appropriate, um, if they choose. They're not required to share about their own personal right. experiences. But, but if they choose, uh, you, you, I, I get to learn such powerful relationships within the, the research and the, the real lives of students. Uh, I bet that would be uh, very inspiring to sit in class and hear some of the, your classmates' uh, stories. Yeah, we actually have a very friendly environment in class, and everybody was saying the testimonies. Oh, my father was a porter, and it was really, really good. We make a connection, you know, between the instruction and the real life. Mm -hmm. And you're not strangers in the class when you're being... Uh, open about your backgrounds, you can't help but uh, be vulnerable and thus learn to trust each other. Yeah, I'm taking a second class with him this semester. And in both classes that I've had, um, this is something that I heard a little bit ago at Presente, um, a Latinx conference at UCR. And I remember them like saying, this is a safe space. What's said, what's said here stays here. What's learned here leaves here. And as soon as I said it, I remember thinking of like this classroom. Because no matter what's said, um, our Professor Lopez lets us say what our opinions, but he also doesn't let anyone diminish anyone else. Everyone, everyone's opinions in his classrooms are so well respected. And if we want to have a discussion, he'll essentially um, lead the discussion with us. And it's something very unique to that classroom. Yeah. In a lot of classrooms, you don't get that opportunity. Yeah. Also, uh -huh, sorry for interrupting. Uh, also, we have an assignment for the class. And this assignment was a meeting with, the, with Professor Lopez one time, at least one time during the semester. And it was so meaningful for me because we met with the professor and he asked us questions about us, who you are, where you come from, where you're from, and where are your uh, aspirations, your career aspiration. And this one was so powerful for me because that means that, uh, this means that uh, Professor Lopez cared about us, you know? It's not just destruction. 
is also applying the instruction to us. Uh -huh. so, so he was a good role model for you yes, to, as a teacher. Definitely. Uh huh. Definitely. I want to do the same with my students. So each of you uh, students uh, are intending to go into education. Uh, what inspired that? What, was there any particular moment where you made the switch? I remember my moment. Um, so I had done mock trial three years when I was in high school. And the teacher that I did mock trial under knew that. Mock I, trial, I, for those of, who are not familiar, is a program in which uh, you have a pretend kind of court and you have attorneys and a judge and uh, you learn all about the law by trying that out. Yeah, and so you trial a case every year. Some cases are homicides, some cases are grand theft, some cases are um, murders, and it all really, really depends. I had done it three years when I was in high school, and my teacher knew that I was going to be commuting back and forth from Cal Poly to Palmdale, where I'm from, in the Mojave Desert. And she had said, oh, they're trying to open up a new mock child team at Little Rock High School, a very impoverished school in my district, but they couldn't find an attorney for the team. And so she said, do you want to go and help? and play an attorney role. So normally it would be an actual attorney who was past the bar yeah. that would lead that. Uh -huh. Instead, they went to a young person like yourself. Because no one else wanted to take it on. Mm -hmm. Which is frequently the case in uh, low-income yeah. school districts. Um, I called two attorneys that I knew that had previously like um, been judges in trials, and they said that school's not worth my time. And I remember hearing that. It wasn't worth their was time because they felt those students wouldn't amount to anything? Um, essentially, yeah. that they, um, the heartbreaking thing is that in those types of areas, you don't see potential, you see statistics. And so I remember going into it and thinking, well, maybe I'll just do this. Like, I'm going to help someone out. I'll just do it for a few months and then hopefully someone else will take over. It's been three years now. And each time that I do it, I feel like I love it more. And it only keeps that affinity only keeps getting bigger. And I remember the specific moment. It was my first year doing it and I had out of a team of you need 14 people to make up a team I only had nine members at this point out of a team of nine seven were seniors it was October November right around this um, right around the point where Cal State and UC applications were due and I looked at them and I said where are you guys going for school and they said what do you mean and I said what do you mean what do I mean where are you guys applying for university I had three valedictorians on my team they weren't even thinking about college, even though they uh -huh. were successful high school students. And they literally, two of them told me, my parents didn't go to college. I don't have to go to college. And I said, get out of my room. You guys aren't welcome back until you apply. Two of my kids got full rides. Um, those three valedictorians, one of them goes to Berkeley. One of them goes to UC San Diego. And then the other one is going to UC Santa Barbara. I'm not an attorney, but I can tell you that what you did was against the law. Uh, by kicking them out of your <laughs> club for not going to college, but fortunately it all worked out. Yeah, no, they, every single one came back the next week, and all of them had all, uh, both applications turned in okay. uh, for Cal State's and UC's. My school, my club on campus is the only camp club on campus where each student progresses farther in education, um, whether it be community college or a four-year. And that's one of the proudest things. that Those are mm -hmm. my kids at the end of the day, and to know right. that they're doing better is... So well, important. We hope you'll have a career worth of uh, such students. And uh, what kind of teacher will you be? Um, I haven't decided. I'm a student teacher right now at Armstrong Elementary through the prep fellowship through CMAS here on campus. And I love fifth graders. But my, I had always thought about being a high school biology or agriculture teacher. But now working with fifth graders, it's kind of switched my position. So I still haven't decided. 
Uh -huh. uh, there's always a need for science teachers. You can get a job anywhere. But uh, if you love uh, elementary school kids, uh, they really need good science instructors too. Oh yeah, I feel uh, like along being with also language arts and social studies and and uh, and so on. And how about you? What was your and uh, for me? Point? Um, well, I have I have faced a lot of challenges during my education. Like uh, I am a mom. I have two kids. Uh, lack of information about the educational system. I am immigrant, and with my professor's guidance and my professor's help, I overcome all these difficulties and I'm in here right now. And this inspired me to give back to my community, you know, to make a difference in a child in the same way they make a difference in me. So that inspired me to, make, to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. So our, in, uh, Professor Lopez, in your classes, uh, you have a, a wide variety of majors who attend the class? Yes, and uh, these two colleagues here are from outside uh, Ethic and Women's Studies and the College of Education. They'll be teachers, though, so they'll be coming into educational setting, but uh, engineers... So, but, but if I may, uh, uh -huh. the majority of the students who take your class are uh, majoring in Ethnic and Women's Studies? No, I would say maybe about 35%. Okay and uh, a lot of engineers, a lot of business majors, um, and uh, outside of the outside of uh, education. And why, do, have you figured out why they choose your class? Well, it, it's, uh, they, they could use it as general education, of course. So there's a requirement in the university to take uh, at least one class yes. from a category that yes. involves multiculturalism. Yes, and then some for personal interest. And I tell students in, in that respect, some want to become more acquainted with issues within the Chicano Latino community, and that's wonderful. And these are people of all ethnic backgrounds. Others are of that heritage and uh, want to know more. And I tell all the students, before they came, they were just fine. The class isn't intended to change them, but rather to present them with the material that will help them a great, have a greater understanding of this growing population. And that is the purpose of college. So as we wind down, I want to ask you about one of the current uh, developments in California, which is the idea of a required ethnic studies course so that students like Martine do not have to wait until college to find out about his or her own heritage. We should all be learning Chicano history, right? Because it's part of the United States, you know? Certainly yeah. part of California. Part of California, yeah. It's so important. Why would you... De dedicate such a short amount of time, like a month, like for instance, like Black History Month, it's so important to learn everyone's history. And ethnic studies isn't just one person's history, it's everyone's history at the end of the day. And it's so important for everyone to understand that and for everyone to know that. Are you, are you familiar with that uh, controversy about ethnic studies? Oh yes, in fact, uh, uh, for Cal State Long Beach, I teach ethnic studies at a high school. So it's a Cal State Long Beach class to high school students, they get the Long Beach credit, uh, and that district, El Rancho Unified School District, has it as a graduation requirement, and they've been doing that for five years. Um, so a high school can always choose to add requirements, they just can't subtract from what the state requires. Right. And as I understand it, uh, our Ethnic and Women's Studies Department is currently at work in developing a curriculum for students who want to possibly become uh, an ethnic uh, studies uh, teacher in uh, middle of high school. So you have one more uh, <laughs> possibility in your uh, choices. Well, I want to thank uh, you, Professor Lopez, for sharing uh, not only your expertise and your 
obvious passion, but for bringing these two uh, fine uh, young people along. And I think uh, we in California are in good hands uh, going, going to the future, knowing that we have such able and uh, dedicated young people going into the uh, field of education. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.